All right, and we are back with another Lunch with a Lawyer Live. And today's guest is not only special to me, but he is special to the entire Bosnian-American community. And not just in the St. Louis area, I want to say the entire Bosnian-American community in the United States. Uh, my dear friend, Patrick McCarthy. Patrick, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. for Thank it. you it's, for having me. It is an honor to really know you. It really mm-hmm. is. I, I, I just look up to you. I think what you have done, you know, within the Bosnian community and, and, and with your life with, with that, it's, it's just amazing. So thank you from the bottom of my heart in the name of the Bosnian American community, thank you. And so today, I guess we can just talk a little bit about you. I asked you earlier, how did you really get involved with the Bosnian community? Because I know you were there, you were in Bosnia during the war. How did you get to be there? Right, I, it's a question that I get asked a lot or I, I was asked more in the past, you know, I don't have, or I, I didn't have at the time a family connection to the former Yugoslavia, but like a lot of people, I was following it in the news and saw what was going on in terms of the aggression against Bosnia and Herzegovina. And when the, the war and the conflict rose to the level of genocide, I think a lot of us felt called to respond even though our governments weren't doing anything effective to stop the war, not only our government, but the governments of the world. And it felt like at that point, individuals and groups had to try to respond in some way. So I work at, have worked at St. Louis University now for almost 30 years. And we had a speaker come, a journalist who had been in Sarajevo uh, had just returned from Sarajevo and he came back and he said uh, at a presentation that I intended on campus, the, the basic premise that we've been presented with in our media of age old ethnic animosities that are almost like a natural occurrence in the Balkans, you can't really do anything about it. He said, that's a false narrative. That's a convenient narrative so that our government can be absolved of responsibility. So the truth is in places like Sarajevo, people have not only just lived together for years, that they've had an interdependent life, a mutual common life in um, cities and small towns and villages throughout Bosnia and Herzegovina. And that that idea of people living together represented civilization, that that was the basis upon which all of our societies are organized that are stable and prosperous and have um, those kinds of benefits. So I approached this journalist afterward and said, you know, I'd like to help out. I don't know exactly how to do that. I'm here at the university. And he mentioned an effort to find scholarships for young Bosnians who had been studying and their cut, their studies had been cut short by the war. And it was an effort called the Bosnian Student Project. And I organized a chapter of that national effort in St. Louis. And St. Louis University agreed to give a scholarship to a young woman, Vildana Bashigic, who was studying in Sarajevo when the war started. She is originally from Travnik and had been living in Croatia as a refugee. She came to campus 
Then I began to meet some of the local Bosnians who were here, began to work with them and trying to find ways to be of support. And I was invited to go to Sarajevo as part of a delegation in um, August of 1994, when the war was still going on. And we, our objective was to get to Sarajevo to provide support, uh, some humanitarian assistance. And we did that by bus, uh, starting in Herzegovina, got to the outskirts of Sarajevo to Mount Igman, uh, ended up the last part on foot and through a tunnel uh, that had been dug underneath the Sarajevo airport. And that was my entry point and the way that I got out of Sarajevo. And I, it, it was a really profound experience for me to see the reality of um, what we had allowed that Serbs had encircled the city. Um, there were 10,000 people who were killed during the three and a half year siege of Sarajevo, including 2,500 children. And aid workers at the time called it the world's largest concentration camp. And I was part of a generation that had been raised and schooled on never again, the idea of never again would we idly and passively allow for the destruction of a people based only on their religion or ethnicity. And again, we were seeing it happen in Sarajevo and in other places. So I felt a very strong pull, came back, uh, began to work more with refugees, other students, and have continued that work and really a love affair with Bosnia and Herzegovina and Bosnians for now 25 years. So you were one of the few people that actually got in and got out of Sarajevo during the siege and that you saw everything happen, you know, firsthand. And so you have continued to stay involved within the Bosnian American community and you have seen us come in, the early folks, the wave, and then you have seen the highs, the lows, the successes, the failures of the Bosnian community. Um, in your experience, how has the Bosnian American community adapted to St. Louis and what, what, what can you tell us about that? You know, I I've, am so inspired by what I've seen from my Bosnian friends in terms of resilience, the ability to literally start over in a new place with the shirt on your back, more, more or less in some cases, uh, with high degrees of trauma from the war of great loss, great loss that includes the loss of a home, of a culture, of family members. Just, it was almost inconceivable to me how it was even possible to just sort of put one foot in front of another and function. And of course, our society requires that. Our it, it always seemed harsh to me at first that people were kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool and said, you've got to swim. You've got to learn to speak la uh, the English language. You have to get a job. We have limited amounts of assistance that are that at that time and now uh, that is offered to refugees. And what I realized in the long run of, of seeing how people's lives have progressed and evolved is that was actually a good thing. In most cases, it allowed people to get on their feet, to have a sense of their self-worth reestablished, um, to feel good about the money they had earned, the place they had earned, and, and 
Bosnians and South Slavic cultures in general have a very strong work ethic. They are tight, tightly connected as family. Um, and so they impress St. Louisans with those that work ethic, with the desire to succeed and to do well. And I, I'm just astounded and, and um, so delighted really to see how well Bosnians have done. So I, I contrast that a little bit with how things are going back at home in Bosnia and Herzegovina because I travel there on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, you've probably um, been more to Bosnia than I have. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think the stability that Bosnian Americans have achieved here is remarkable for all the reasons we've mentioned. If you say the context out of which they came was such an incredible obstacle that overcoming that developed skills and resilience and uh, resources that, that might not have been otherwise available. But when I look at the goal of stability at home in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, stability, of course, is a very important goal, especially in the aftermath of the war. But the basic resolution of the war from the Dayton Peace Agreement was uh, a division of the country. And I believe in a unified Bosnia and Herzegovina that has a single capital of Sarajevo and one functioning government and institutions. And I, I'm concerned about how things are going and what the degree of there, there is a there is a stability on the surface, but I think some of the underlying um, dynamics are still uh, those that could lead to future conflict, and not just in Bosnia and Herzegovina, but in the region more generally. And we, we can talk in a minute about um, what's coming up in October at Washington University that tries in a way to get at some of those questions. Yeah, and you know we, we talked previously about that. Um, I had some guests from Platform for Progress, mm -hmm. people trying to make a difference, trying right. to get diaspora right. involved to kind of transfer some of the stability that the diaspora has established here to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Right. Right. And yesterday I talked to Ron Klutho about, and I, I think you're going to agree with with the both of us that. Bosnian Americans have really embraced the American dream yes. more so than Americans themselves right. that have lived here right. their entire yes. lives yes. because they have come from that nothing mm -hmm. and they were given this opportunity right. Right. To, to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And so let me ask you this, and then I talked to the platform of progress people that are trying to get the diaspora organized and, and, and get them to vote and try to make a difference in Bosnia because right now the status quo, as you call right. it, right. has been going on since the date mm -hmm. agreement. Nothing's changed. Right. Um, and my wife always asked me, why should we be voting and making a change for Bosnia when, you know, personally, I haven't been to Bosnia since 2014. Obviously, I try to go as much as I can, but a lot of us just can't for whatever reasons. Right. Is it right for the diaspora to, to, you know, influence what's happening in Bosnia? The simple answer is yes. And the reason is, if you look at, just look at the population of Bosnia and Herzegovina at the time the war began of 4.4 million. Two million Bosnians were either internally displaced or made refugees. That's almost half the population. And when you look at 
people who came from cities and towns that are part of the so-called Republika Srpska, the, the Serbian national agenda of separation, of uh, denying the legitimacy of Bosnia and Herzegovina as a sovereign state, uh, the attempts to influence uh, uh, a nationalist agenda linking to Serbia itself is a very, very disturbing trend. And I believe, especially people who were expelled from a country, did not give up their franchise to be part of the democratic process to determine what the future will be. God willing, there will be a Bosnia and Herzegovina now and into the future. And the direction of that will be based on political choices and commitments that people make. I admire Mirsad Hajikajic. I, he is a friend of mine. He has organized several large organizations made up of diaspora Bosnians and Herzegovinians here in the United States, including the Advisory Council for Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Bosnian Herzegovinian American Academy of Arts and Sciences. He is a uh, recognized expert in his field. He is a esteemed professor at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. In other words, he didn't really need to do what he's doing now. Um, he's had a successful life in the United States as now have had many others who are in a similar situation. But his, his belief is, as I mentioned before, what will the future be? What will the future look like? And I respect that he has a vision for Bosnia and Herzegovina that's all inclusive, um, that includes all communities, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina was uh, an exception in the former Yugoslavia that there was not a single dominant religious or ethnic group that formed the majority. And so Bosnia was always understood as a place for everyone. That's an idea to get back to. But I think it's a way to honor those who were lost in this war to to the proper memorial for them would be a decent future for people who are still in Bosnia and Herzegovina and those who care about Bosnia, including the large diaspora in St. Louis and in other places. I tend to agree with that. I think Mirsad's heart in the right place because uh, I think a lot of Bosnian politicians right now are only there for the chairs, we call it in Bosnia. Right. Mirsad, really, he's not taking any right. money from the yes. government. He yeah. is doing it all on his own. Yeah. And he, as you said, he didn't really need to do that stuff. He's doing it because he wants to help. And I think he, he did help. surprisingly well, having no party affiliation when he ran the first time and captured almost 10% of the vote. There is a desire, I believe, as an outsider, but I think reasonably well informed about Bosnian society. There is a desire to see a political party that is committed to what works, that has a certain amount of pragmatism that has real solutions, that's not tied to the past and is not forming an agenda that advances only the interests of one group over and above each other. The dominant uh, element in Bosnian politics and sadly in American politics too is the manipulation of fear, the fear of losing something 
that people, even the small gains that people have made, they're afraid to lose. And I think that the, the best of the Bosnian tradition was always to say, we're in it together, we rise or fall as a country and as a nation to the degree that we can work effectively together. Um, I think there are hostile forces in the region and even within Bosnia, those for reasons that I can never understand who don't identify themselves as Bosnians. I believe in a state comprised of citizens who have equal rights, no more, no less than any other, and their religious traditions are their own choice or, or not. Um, and I think that that kind of civic organized state offers greater stability for the future than the course that has been followed in the last 25 years. Yeah, and the facts are not a whole lot of progress has been made right. in the last right. 25 years. And I think it's time for change. I think people are ready for change. And I think Mr. has come along at that uh, you know, perfect time. Right. So we'll right. see what the future brings. We'll yeah. see if he can um, mobilize the diaspora because the diaspora is not only numbers are there, but also there's a economic might that may be able to push that And forward. I think that's key too. I think, you know, let's face it, Bosnians are Bosnians. And um, it's not natural for Bosnians to live apart from each other from these, these um, separations are not part of Bosnian history. And I think Bosnians will be, always be redeemed by their sense of humor, their perspective, uh, their enjoyment of life, um, their appreciation for social relationships. That, that's why so many people, including myself, were always so drawn to Bosnian culture because it is such a rich socially sophisticated culture of people who know how to deal with each other, uh, who know how to solve problems, who understand that life is to be enjoyed. And the way that you do that is you enjoy it with your friends. And there's, there's the Bosnian philosophy of you're always included, whether you are rich or poor, um, there's such a natural and strong sense of hospitality. That is the basis for building these other institutions or reestablishing inclusive interdependent institutions that function for the well-being of all Bosnians and all, all who are from Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's a lesson that, frankly, we could learn here. We are seeing more and more isolation, more and more sense of uh, antipathy and division in our own culture. And I think if you trace some of these recent terrorist at, uh, attacks in Australia, the person who committed that atrocity uh, was influenced by Radovan Karadzic. The Norwegian uh, terrorist attack uh, was, again, someone who was follower of the, the extreme Serb nationalism. The germ of that hatred and division and, frankly, terrorism uh, that was spawned by the world allowing the Serbian national project and to a degree, the Croatian national project, we have to acknowledge they were also an aggressor against Bosnia and Herzegovina. 
those ideas, if they're not stopped at the outset, will, will only be strengthened. And this, the kind of far-right populist governments that we're seeing in Europe now are one of the consequences that began with the wars of dissolution in the former Yugoslavia. Wow. Far-reaching. Far-reaching it definitely has been. But you've always stayed active within the Bosnian-American community, and you've always helped organize all kinds of, you know, uh, remembrances mm -hmm. and... One is coming up in October, which I think is very, very important. I, you know, I'm going to be taking part and you will be yes, there. Yes. So you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, on October 4th, Friday, October 4th, 2019, on the campus of Washington University at the School of Law, and we'll make sure that we have a lot of information that comes out to the community about this, we'll have a day-long symposium that will look at the legacy of the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in understanding the war and genocide in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And the opportunity arose uh, by way of a film, a documentary film that was on Frontline about the trial of Ratko Mladic. And one of the, in fact, the first witness at the Mladic trial is a, a young man who lives here in St. Louis, Elvadine Pasic, who was just a boy when the events of in his hometown near Kotovarish, where he lost his father, um, he, he gave direct testimony uh, that led to the conviction of Mladic for genocide. And the chief prosecutor in that case, uh, a man named Dermot Groom, will also be part of the symposium. So we'll look at the legal issues that were involved. Why was it so hard to establish the crime of genocide in Bosnia and Herzegovina when self-evidently genocide occurred not just in Srebrenica, which has been the, the, uh, the focus, the central focus of genocide convictions in the war crimes tribunal. Um, what was the role of Serbia as a state now, the ICTY, the criminal tribunal, doesn't have standing to prosecute states. It's only able to prosecute individuals. There is another court, the International Court of Justice, that did render a finding during the war of genocide against Serbia and Montenegro. Um, but the, we see a narrative of genocide denial, even in the case of Srebrenica, but just take Priedor, uh, which came up at the end of the Mladic trial with the discovery of a mass grave at Tomashica. Uh, very clear evidence of systematic, planned mass murder and uh, genocide, and that legally that was not able to be established. So we'll look at why is it difficult to um, meet that threshold of the legal definition of genocide. Then we'll have a panel that will look at the political and historical issues related to that, uh, the, the legacies of the tribunal. And then finally, a panel that will look at um, the experiences of Bosnians here in St. Louis, including Elvadin Pasic and others, younger members of the community who um, weren't even alive at that time. What does it mean for the tribunal to find and create a historical record of what actually occurred 
And how does that help or not with the stability in um, at home in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina? I think these are very important questions. They're difficult questions to deal with. And I understand that after 25 years, there's a natural inclination that people have to put these questions behind them. And I think that is appropriate to look to the future and to build a good life for um, yourself and for your families. That is a natural instinct. But again, I think to honor the memory of those who are lost in such an unjust war, in, in a war that we all lost so much, it deserves to have full accounting for these questions. And we'll do that on, uh, at the program on October 4th. We'll end the day with a screening of that documentary film, and then Elvadine and Dermot Groom will uh, have a question and answer period. So I'm very grateful to you, Nadine, for you'll be moderating the legal panel that'll look at issues of sexual violence. Uh, we'll look at the nature of the genocide and how it was planned and who the state actors were in, in Serbia that enabled and allowed that to happen. And um, I'm really looking forward to this because as you said, a lot of people don't grasp the concept that it, it was so self-evident what happened. Mm -hmm. So why was it so difficult and why did it take so long to actually bring those trials to a conclusion? And I think those questions will be answered at that symposium because, you know, we'll, we'll break it down to the layperson terms and explain right. to them, okay, the law right. says this and here's the way it needed to, to go right. down in order for it to be right. properly executed. So really looking forward to that one and I think it's going to be a good success and as I said you've been involved within the Bosnian community in keeping those memories alive you're right we need to move forward we need to look into the future however it would just be a crime to ever forget those you know memories I agree what I agree happened. and it's not an either or equation so I think that you can understand what happened uh, you can memorialize what happened, even as you look to the future, including, as we talked about before, political involvement and engagement in determining the future, a just future, a fair future, an inclusive future that's creating a stable, economically strong and prosperous and unified Bosnia and Herzegovina. That will be good for Bosnians here. That will certainly be good for Bosnians at home and for the whole region. So the, the degree to which Bosnia succeeds uh, will help determine the future stability of that entire region. That's very true. That is very true. So, Patrick, I do want to be respectful of your time. Thank is there you. anything that we have not covered that you would like to add to our uh, broadcast today? You know, I, I do want to just add one thing. Those of you who missed the interview yesterday with Ron Clutha with Amir <laughs> Amerikanets, do yourself a favor and find that podcast because it's really outstanding. And I want to give a shout out to Ron. Um, who is another person who has really inspired me uh, all these years with his tremendous dedication and um, someone who is who doesn't ever seek the limelight and doesn't ever look for that kind of recognition. There, that kind of goodness is rare in the world, and we're lucky to have Ron here in St. Louis. Very, very rare. It was yeah. such. I, I love Ron. I mean, there's yeah. just no other word to describe what you. There's nothing else that yeah. you can feel towards yeah. that man. Yeah. He's such a likable yes. uh, human being. One thing he did mention, though, he said, 
obviously both and, and maybe our you know viewers don't know this but uh patrick speaks bosnian very well and ron speaks the language very well but his saying is like people think that i speak the language like a selak <laughs> while patrick yeah. is like one yeah. of those highly educated yeah. bosnian uh, uh speakers <laughs> i i had the advantage of uh learning a little bit from my mother-in-law the proper structure of the grammar and things like that so um it's a running joke. I always say he speaks better. He says I speak better. But uh, the truth is neither one of us speak all that well. But what, what, what yeah. I think is that you guys speak better than some Bosnians themselves. <laughs> maybe. So I maybe. think I don't that know. is. Maybe younger Bosnians. Yeah. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. So thank you very much, everybody, you're for welcome. being with us. Yeah, and Patrick, thank you so much oh, for welcome. being with My us. My pleasure, today. as always. And um, yeah. everybody have a wonderful yeah. rest of the day. Stay safe. And we'll yeah. be talking to you soon again. Vidimo. Vidimo. Ciao, ciao.